You know, this place here is uh, kind of like these new shoes that I'm wearing. It's going to take a little getting used to. But that's okay. I, I just want to remind us this morning, um, while we're doing all this, this last two weeks has been a flurry of, of movement and, and excitement. And we had men here yesterday for about 12 hours just doing finishing touches on everything. And uh, Danny Willoughby there in the back was here all day long yesterday, giving up his Saturday to, to help and many others as well. And um, just want to remind us this morning, why, why would we do all this stuff? Why all of this? And uh, the bottom line is this. There are people in Breckenridge County that need to be reached, and we need to make space to reach them. And so that's, that's the whole goal here, and nothing more than that, just to reach people for Christ and to have the space to be able to do what we need to do to disciple them. And uh, so just keep that in prayer as we... This month is a big month for us as we celebrate 120 years here at Corinth Baptist Church. Uh, we'll have 120th celebration at the end of this month. But I just want to remind us, even the 120th celebration is not about us. It's about what God has called us to do here in Breckenridge County. And so I really want to encourage you as we approach this 120th celebration, which will be three weeks from today. Uh, if you want to, I really want to encourage you, three weeks from today, be inviting folks. We're going to have what we're going to call a friend day. be a great opportunity for you on that day to invite someone to come with you. And uh, we're going to do some crazy stuff for 120th. I'm going to dress up as, as the pastors would have 120 years ago, and you're welcome to come dressed up that way if you want. We've got a lady in our church now named Angel Mathis that is making some... Uh, that she is making some uh, outfits and things for folks. If you want to contact her, her number is in the bulletin there. If you wanted to make you a, a costume for that day, uh, we're going to have some horse and buggy rides out here in the in the parking lot and some hay rides for the kids and just going to make a big day of it. Uh, but in doing so, we really want to encourage you to invite somebody to come along to see what the crazy folks out at Corinth Baptist Church are doing these days and uh, come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we worship. Today we're going to jump into 1 John chapter 5. We are just about done with this book. We'll finish up next week. This will be the end. Next week will be the end of our study of 1 John. And uh, then we'll have a week in between that and the 120th celebration. I don't know what I'm going to preach that day, the 21st, but we'll find something good. There's a whole bunch in here that's good stuff. And so we'll find something good that day. And then we'll have our 120th celebration. And then... Uh, just so you'll know where we're headed, in, in November, I'm going to start a series, about an eight-week series through November and December. We're going to look at the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ. What does the Old Testament have to say about Jesus? That's what we're going to look at for about eight weeks leading up to Christmas. I think that'll be very appropriate for the Christmas season. And then coming in January, uh, and I say this with fear and trembling, we're going to dive right into the book of Revelation come January. So... If you've had lots of questions and queries about the book of Revelation, you can join with your pastor because I have a lot of questions and queries. And uh, for about the first three chapters, I'm pretty confident. After that, I have no clue. So you all dive in with me together come the first of the year and we'll learn it together. Today, 1 John chapter 5. We'll look at the first 12 verses of 1 John chapter 5 this morning. And would you stand with me in honor of God's word today? Now this will be up on the screen. I don't normally make a practice of putting the, the scriptures up on the screen, but uh, for the time being, until we get some new uh, Bibles here in the sanctuary, we'll put it up there for you. First John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. John writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And you can be seated this morning. And Father God, as we are seated together this morning, we pray that you would give us an understanding of your word. That just as we've spoken just now, we've read about the spirit of truth, that the spirit of truth would guide us into all truths today. And that we would leave this place with our hearts having been encouraged and our minds having been filled and even captivated by the truth of your word. So teach us, God, this morning. Help us to understand these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled today's message, Tests and Testimonies, and that's what you're going to see in these 12 verses of First John chapter 5 as we jump in here. The first thing I want you to see here is John is really wrapping up this book. He's really coming to a conclusion here, drawing things to a close. And so you're seeing kind of his final words. And John is basically bringing everything that he has taught for the first four chapters. He's basically bringing it all together and he's going to tie a nice little bow on it and, and lay it out for us there as a conclusion. And so what you're going to see again is these three tests, these three tests of assurance. How do I know that I know that who I am in Christ is secure and that the eternal life that I claim to have in Jesus is really real? How do I know that what I'm trusting in, this faith in Jesus Christ, is going to sustain me, not just for now, but for all of eternity? Well, John lays them out again, these three tests, and you're going to see them. But what he does here in chapter 5 is just a little bit different. Is he doesn't focus on each test individually as he's done in the past, but he takes all three tests and he combines them together. And the point of this chapter, the point of these opening verses, is to see the three tests combined. And that's the first point on your outline there, the three combined tests. The three combined tests. The first one, as we've seen twice before already, each of these tests, he's already gone over two times. Remember, John doesn't write like Paul in a linear fashion, going from point A to point Z. John writes in a circular fashion. He hits points A, B, and C, and he hits them over and over again. And each time, he goes just a little bit 
deeper. And here you see points A, B, and C, and they're put together side by side. And the point of this is that these tests cannot be divided from one another. In other words, what I'm saying by that is this. If you were to look at the test of love and say, well, I've accomplished the test of love, I have the love of Christ in my heart, but I'm still struggling with the test of truth. John's point in this chapter is to say these three tests go together hand in hand. They are inseparable. And each one builds on another. And so let's look at the three tests together. First of all, the first test is love in the heart. We've already seen that over in chapter 2 and then again in chapter 3. I put those verses there in your notes just so you can look back at those if you'd like in the days ahead. Love in the heart, that we love God, that vertical relationship, that love relationship with him, that we love him because he first loved us, that vertical love relationship with God. Not just that love, but we love one another. John's main thrust in this whole book has been that we would love one another with the love that God has given us, we show to one another. And we learned last week how we often think that we have a harder time loving one another. We think, well, we can love God, that's the easy part. But loving others, that's a little bit difficult. But John told us last week, you can't even know how to love God. You can't even practice loving God apart from first practicing love for one another. Again, they're inseparable. Two sides of the same coin, love for God and love for his people. The second test, obedience in the will. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, which is the very thing as sinful human beings that we were unable to do. It was our sin that keeps us, that that prevents us from being able to keep the commandments of God. And then when Christ comes into our life and gives us that new heart of flesh that now beats for him, now we can do the very thing that we were prevented from doing before by our sinful nature. He's put a new heart of flesh in us that now beats for him. And so now we can keep his commandments. And so Jesus says, if you love me, there's that first part love in the heart, then you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. These things are inseparable. Love for God is shown in obedience to God, obedience in the will. And finally there, he speaks again of truth in the mind. And we've talked two times previously in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, we've talked two times previously about what it means, what it means to know the truth that sets you free. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what is that truth? truth and it is this john in his gospel and here in this epistle he has written to prove to us and to reveal to us and to help us to have that assurance that jesus is the christ the long-awaited messiah the one promised all the way back to genesis chapter 3 he was promised the long-awaited messiah and he is also the son of the living god He is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. And if you know nothing more this morning, you don't have to understand all the symbols and craziness in the book of Revelation. You don't have to understand all that's in the Old Testament and how it all fits together, but you need to know this this morning. If you would have the faith that saves, you will believe this, that Jesus Christ, the man who walked upon this earth 2,000 years ago, is the very Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again three days later. And even in this moment in history right now, He is seated at the right hand of God in glory on the throne of heaven, ruling. And one day, his glory will be revealed to all peoples. And this is the gospel. The very basic basic things that John has been trying to teach us. 
And so what is the result of taking these tests? If you would examine yourself this morning, examine your heart and consider, are you loving God, that vertical love relationship, and showing love to his people? Remember, love is a verb. It is an action word that demonstrates itself in the way that you live, in the way that you treat other people. Are you taking that test of love this morning? And are you taking that test of obedience this morning when you take your life and you line it up beside the word of God? Now understand again, he is not recommending and not saying here that we have to have perfect obedience, but he's saying that we will progress in obedience. In other words, I will be walking more in obedience to the word of God today than I was five years ago as a follower of Christ, than I was ten years ago as a follower of Christ. And I will be walking more in obedience five years from now, ten years from now. It's progressing in obedience to Christ, growing in love for Christ. And finally, have you taken that test of truth this morning? Do you believe with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength that Jesus Christ, the historical man who lived 2,000 years ago, came into the world as the very Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, that he went to the cross and died a sinner's death in your place so that through faith in him you could have eternal life? Is this truth for you this morning? And so you take these three tests, these three inseparable tests. They go hand in hand with one another. And the result of these things is the promise of verses 4 and 5. And the promise is this, victory in Jesus. We sing about it in this service very often. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me victory beneath his cleansing blood. Victory in Jesus. And John reminds us, he says, for everyone who's been born of God, who's taken these tests, and who has this assurance in their hearts because they have passed the test, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. There is victory in Christ. And this victory that has overcome the world is our faith. The faith of these three tests. And again, verse 5, who is it that overcomes, that has victory over the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Followers of Christ this morning, are you living in a place of victory? I fear far too often Christians, especially in our American culture, we live in a place of defeat because we see where our society is going. We see how far it has departed from biblical ethics and moral values. We see what's happening to families as they're being ripped apart by the evil one that wants to destroy our families. We see what's happening in our school systems, in our places of work, where the name of God is being cast out and you can no longer, if you're going to be able to pray, you can't pray in the name of Jesus anymore. We see all these things and we feel like we're in a place of defeat but john reminds us this morning he says take heart you've already overcome this world this world is passing away and all the things i've just spoken about are the evidence that this world is passing away the world has no victory over us the devil has no victory over us and even that old sinful flesh has no victory over us for those who are in christ jesus romans 8 1 one of my favorite verses there is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that a life verse for you this morning? Can you speak those words by faith 
Maybe you've come in this morning after a week of feeling just utterly beaten down and defeated. Nothing has seemed to go right. Everything has seemed to go wrong. and Everything seems to be falling apart in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace. Nothing seems to be coming together as it should. Would you read these words on the screen with me this morning? Let's read it together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now we can do a little better than that, I think. Let's do it together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now oftentimes the worst condemnation is self-condemnation. We condemn ourselves because we think, well, I don't measure up. I'm not loving as loving as I know that I ought to be. I'm not as obedient as I know that I ought to be. And I'm struggling in my faith even though I feel like that I shouldn't be struggling. And we condemn ourselves. But there's no condemnation, even self-condemnation comes under the heading of this verse and we would say this this morning if the god of the universe who is holy and perfect in all of his attributes has not condemned you then you have no right to condemn yourself and if you are in christ what the verse says if you are in christ jesus this morning if you trusted him by faith as your lord and savior then there is no condemnation for you and you have no right to condemn yourself if god has not condemned you so claim this verse and john says you have victory in jesus the second part this morning this is where it gets a little more hairy this is probably the most debated portion of first john these next few verses first john chapter 5 verses 6 through 12 he speaks of three confirming testimonies now all the way back to one of the church fathers augustine he had a different a different view of this Uh, John Calvin has a different view of this all the way up to today. James Montgomery Boyce uh, uh, had a different view of this. Many of the authors that I've read, you you read them from as many uh, commentaries and scholars as you can read, you'll almost get a different idea from each one of them. So you're just going to get my idea. I'm not a scholar by any means. Uh, I'm just your pastor. But you're going to get my version of it this morning. And uh, this is one of those you can go home and study for yourself if you want. Uh, But there's a lot of good stuff in these verses. Three confirming testimonies he speaks here of water of blood and of the spirit now again scholars differentiate differ with one another over what these three things mean you're going to get my version of it this morning Uh, i think mine's pretty much the middle of the road version i try not to go to too many extremes when it comes to the word of god Uh, but let's look at it first of all first of all i believe here when he speaks about the water he's referring to the baptism of Jesus. Now I'll explain why I'm I'm going to put these up on the screen and then we'll I'll explain to you why these three things come together. But I believe when he speaks about the water here, he's speaking about the baptism of Jesus. When he speaks about the blood, he's speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And when he speaks about the spirit there, this one's a little more obvious. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit which reveals the truth about Jesus. He refers to him here as the spirit of truth. The spirit is the truth. Now we'll put these three things together and it paints a beautiful picture of John's overarching theme. Remember John's purpose here, we're going to see next week in John 5 verse 13, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants to give us assurance 
And that assurance is not found in ourselves. It's not found in some faith that we could well up. It's not found in some confidence that we could mix up in, in, in our souls. But it's found in the assurance of what Christ Jesus has done for us. In who he is and what he has done. So what do these three words have to do with that? The water, the blood, and the spirit. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, by water and the blood. The spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. And so these three testimonies, the water, the blood, and the spirit. So what's John getting at here? Let's go ahead and say this. For his first century readers, this would have been perfectly clear. They would have had no question whatsoever, but unfortunately, 2,000 years removed, we read this passage and we go, okay, what what does he mean here? Water, blood, spirit, how does this work together? Let me tell you what I think that he was getting at. When he talks about the baptism of Jesus, you need to understand that the false teaching that was prominent in John's day, the Gnostics that we've talked about, their name meaning knowledge, when they were teaching the people saying, yeah, having Jesus is fine, and we're fine with you believing in Jesus, but you also need to have on top of that this special knowledge that we can impart to you. You need to come and sit under our teaching and learn these extra secret things. They were all about this secret knowledge and getting into this secret club. It was almost like a cult in and of itself. You had to have the secret handshake to be able to know what it was to be a Gnostic. And they were elevating themselves above and saying we're better than you because not only do we have jesus but we have this secret knowledge that puts us closer to god and if you want to get closer to god you got to come through us the bible says there's only one mediator between god and man the lord jesus christ you don't need me you don't need any other man there's no other man that needs to stand between you and the lord jesus christ he is the mediator between you and god and so he says these gnostics were saying here and their view of jesus was this They said that Jesus the man, the one who was born in Bethlehem, that when he was born, the Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was not born as the Son of God. He was born just as a man. And that when he came that day on which he was baptized, you remember that he went down to the Jordan River and he met John there, John the baptizer. He met him out there in the Jordan River and John said, how can I baptize you? And Jesus said, well, you better because it's to fulfill the Father's plan. There's a plan here that the Father has. And so he went down into the water and he was baptized by John. And you remember what happened when he came up out of the water. It says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then there was a voice in heaven that said this. And I've written these verses down in your notes there so you can look at it for yourself. In Matthew chapter 3, he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so there was an affirmation on the day of Jesus' baptism that he was the Son of God. But the Gnostics were saying this, Jesus only took upon himself the essence of God at his baptism. And then he did his earthly ministry for about three years, that he walked with the power of God on him for about three years. And then when he went to the cross, the presence of God left him. Because when Jesus was at the cross, you remember what he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and the Gnostics took that out of context and they were saying that Jesus took the essence of God at his baptism and the essence of God left him at his crucifixion because for the Gnostics they could not understand they could not receive the fact that the living God died at the cross so they had to differentiate and they had to say well Jesus was just the son of God in that he became, this, became a son of God, took the power of God upon himself at his baptism, and then it left him at his crucifixion. 
But folks, if that's your Jesus, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Because John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say in that chapter, he came and he dwelt among us, and he is Jesus, the historical man who was born in Bethlehem, prophesied back in Micah, as we'll see in weeks to come when we get, I'm excited about getting to those Old Testament prophecies. You're going to learn I love the Old Testament. But he was prophesied, the Son of God, to come into the world. And he did not become the Son of God at his baptism. And the presence of God did not leave him at his crucifixion. Because John says he came by water and he came by blood. His baptism was a symbol saying, this is the Son of God. When he came up out of the water, the voice said from heaven, this is my Son. Not this has become my Son, but this is my Son. He is the everlasting. From the very beginning he was, and he is, and he is to come. And the voice from heaven spoke it. And then his crucifixion, it was confirmed once again, not by the voice of God, but by the voice of a centurion, a Roman soldier, standing at the cross that day. As Jesus breathed his last, as he said, it is finished, and the veil in the temple was torn, and the sky was darkened, and the earth shook that centurion that roman soldier that gentile from his lips came these words surely this man was what the son of god and so both at his baptism and at his crucifixion it was affirmed this is the son of god he is the living god in the flesh and this is jesus christ in whom we put our faith if you are putting your faith in anything less then you don't have the faith that saves And you need to have the faith that saved this morning and be assured that Jesus is the Christ. And so this comes with a promise as well. And the promise is this. Eternal life in Jesus. In the Old Testament, it says to us that every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that is the pattern that John is following here. He's saying, if you want to be affirmed in who Jesus Christ is and in who you are in him, then take these three witnesses. Take the witness of his baptism. When the voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son, this is the son of God. Take the witness of his blood poured out of the cross when his blood was poured out and he said, it is finished. And the centurion spoke and said, surely this was the son of God. And take the witness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I must go so that I can send another helper to you, the blessed Holy Spirit, and he will confirm, the Spirit of truth will confirm all these things that I have spoken to you. And believers in Jesus Christ this morning understand the very seal of God is upon you. If you've trusted Christ by faith, you don't need to live in a place of defeat. You must live in a place of victory. You don't have to live as if you've been overcome. You live as an overcomer because, what, because of what Christ has done for you and in you in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't have that assurance this morning, I would say to you very simply, have victory in Christ. And know that your eternal life is in him. Let me leave you with John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. We covered these verses several weeks ago. And John just reminds us, let what you heard from the beginning. On that day when you trusted Christ by faith, that's the beginning he's referring to. Let what you heard from the beginning, when you first trusted Christ, let that abide in you, remain in you, stay in you. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise. And folks, when God makes a promise, it's 100%. It's amen in Jesus Christ. There's never been a promise he has made that he has not, will not, cannot keep. He has the power to make it and the power to keep it. His word is faithful and true. And he says, this is the promise he has made to us who are in Christ, eternal life. So this morning, if you're wavering in that place between doubt and belief, then come to faith in Jesus Christ and trust him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Take the claim of all of who you are in all of who he is for you. If you're struggling, struggling to love, then let the love of Christ indwell your heart. If you're struggling to obey, then let him give you the strength to obey. Put that new heart of flesh that beats for him in your heart and work that into your life. If you're struggling with faith, and trust him. Take the test this morning and trust the testimony, the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and the testimony of the Spirit that say this to you. Jesus is the Christ. Now trust Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank You for these three tests. And I pray You'd help us to take the test this morning to examine our hearts and to see if the love of God is there, a love that demonstrates itself in love to our brothers and sisters. And to examine our wills and to see if obedience is there, the obedience that we could not have prior to Christ, but now is growing in us because of Christ. And Lord, help us to examine our minds this morning to see if what we are believing in, what we are trusting in, is the faith that saves, which is the faith that is grounded in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the God-man who came into the world sinless in every way and died a sinner's death on the cross for us and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life in him and is even now seated at the right hand of God on the throne of glory interceding for us, praying for us, and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our mediator. And Father God, may we examine ourselves and may we hear clearly the testimony of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. These three together, may we not make you a liar this morning, but take you at your word. Respond to you by faith, knowing that you are the God who gives life, victory, assurance, comfort, joy, love, peace. These things come from you and you alone. So help us to trust you, Father. To set aside the sin that so easily entangles us and hinders us from coming to you. To set aside our unbelief. Lord, help us in our unbelief to trust you. Lord, help us to respond to your word this morning. As we surrender all to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.